Well, I want to ask a question this morning. And the question is this. What will you make of Jesus? What will you make of Jesus? You see, Jesus made many claims throughout Scripture, throughout his time here on earth. And and when we come to these claims, when we come to see who Jesus claimed to be, we're confronted with this question, what will we make of Jesus? Look at some of the things he said about himself in John 14, six, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Matthew 16, 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Luke 9, 26, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal Life For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. John 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you that in you, that in me, you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. What are we to make of the Jesus who makes these types of claims? This series we've been in, we've, we've called it Real Jesus because we're examining Christ according to Luke's gospel. We're coming towards the end of Luke here uh, after a while of, of being in this book of the Bible. And, and as we've been doing so, we've been really focusing on who exactly is Jesus? What did he claim to be? And in that we have to ask ourselves the question, what do we do with this? And in this passage, in today's scripture, we we see a picture, we see an example of, of two powerful men who came face to face to Jesus and were confronted with this question. And and so my hope for us today as we look at this passage is, is that we learn something about ourselves and ultimately we we learn who Jesus is says he is, and, and uh, that we will respond to him with greater affection, with more passionate worship. Would you pray with me? Lord, help us today. Illuminate yourself to us through your word. If, if, there are, uh, if there are hard hearts in this room this morning, Lord, soften us through your spirit. May the truth that you speak to us today uh, transform us, move us from a place of complacency, self-righteousness, to a place of of worship and awe before you. God, help us today as we look to your word to guide us and to teach us, and it's in your name we pray, amen. Amen, well, my wife is out of town for the weekend, and so I have my four kids uh, with me at home, and this morning I was asking my seven-year-old daughter if she was gonna sit in the service or if she wanted to hang out in the, in the kids' ministry. And she said, well, are you gonna talk for more than five minutes? <laughs> She's in kids' ministry, so she knows 
Uh, we, will, we will try to uh, do our best to be efficient as we work through this passage. But man, I, I gotta confess, when I came to this passage this week, it was a little tough for me to, to see, okay, what is there in this passage for us today? Is it, is it a historical account of something that happened in the life of Jesus? And so I had a little bit, uh, it took me a while to kind of figure out, okay, God, what is it that you're trying to speak to me and to us through, through this scripture passage this week? And so we're gonna work through this together and we're gonna get through it. Um, it'll take longer than five minutes, but uh, we will uh, hopefully, we'll, we can stay focused on, on what God has for us this morning. So we're picking it up in Luke 23, uh, starting in the first verse. We're, we're like just a couple chapters from the end of Luke. We've been working in Luke for quite a while now, and so we're kind of coming to the, the climax of the book, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And, and so here we see Jesus come before Pilate. So verse one of chapter 23 says, then the whole company of them arose and brought Jesus before Pilate. What's going on here? What's the scene? So if you recall last week, if you remember the, the passage right before this, uh, the, there's a mob forming, the, the religious leaders who have uh, accused Jesus of blasphemy basically are, are working themselves up into a frenzy. They, they, have, they have accused him of claiming to be God, and the penalty for that is nothing less than death. The, the problem is, is uh, Israel is under Roman rule, and, and so while the, the Jews had some ability to rule uh, and, and to create customs and traditions and, and uh, rule according to that, when it came to the death penalty, Rome held the final say. Rome was, the, was the, the final decider of whether or not that was a worthy punishment. And so the crowd knew they had one last hurdle to get over before they could see Jesus put to death. And that was Pontius Pilate. So this man, Pilate, was the governor, the Roman governor of Judea, which included Jerusalem. So because Jesus was in Jerusalem, this fell under Pilate's jurisdiction at the time. And he held the fate of, of Jesus and his hands. And so the, the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And in verse two, we see they start bringing accusations against Jesus. It says, and they began to accuse him, saying, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And so they, they begin to lay out their argument for why Jesus deserves the death penalty in, in their eyes. And if you look at what they accuse him of, there's, there's three statements that they make here, and they kind of escalate in severity as you read them. And so the first thing they say is, we found this man misleading our nation. Basically, they're saying, Jesus is making us uncomfortable because he's disrupting things that we hold dear in our culture and in our traditions He's, he's kind of undoing our customary way of doing things. Now, this probably did not stick with Pilate as far as accusations go, and so they, they go a little bit deeper. They say, uh, Jesus forbids us to give tribute to Caesar. He's telling us not to pay our taxes. This would probably be a little bit more of concern to Pilate, right, as a Roman governor, if, if People on his watch are not paying their taxes. That, you imagine how that could go for him. And, and this is not even something that is true at all, right? If you remember a couple chapters back when, when Jesus is, is uh, speaking and, and he's tricked 
uh, or they, they try to trick him into saying not to pay taxes to Caesar. Remember what he says? Render to Caesar what is Caesar's, render to God what is God's. So Jesus has not in any way said that they should not pay taxes to Caesar, but the, the mob is out for blood, right? They are, they are looking to grab onto anything they can to bring this accusation, to get it to stick against Jesus. And so they, they twist his words, they misrepresent what he said and bring it to Pilate. And lastly, they accuse him of saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And here's, and here's the sticking point for Pilate, right? They say, he's trying to subvert your rule. He's trying to subvert Rome. This would be a big problem for Pilate if it were true, right? This is a serious claim. And so we see Pilate decides to engage, whereas the, the accusations up to this point, it's possible that, that he may have not seen them as worthy of, of engagement. He, he decides to investigate. And what we see here in Pilate's investigation of Jesus gives us a glimpse of what Pilate is beginning to make of this man, Jesus. In light of these claims, we see Pilate responding to who Jesus is says he is, and, and so Pilate begins to question Jesus. And, and the, question, the, the question at the root of what he's asking here is, are you a threat? Are you someone that I need to be afraid of? So he asks in verse three, Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? Now there's a, there's a couple ways you could read this tone uh, of voice in Pilate's question. On the one hand, you could read this, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a bit of an absurd scenario and question uh, for Pilate to even ask this question. You have, to, you have to imagine that he's asking it in sort of a mocking tone, kind of condescending toward Jesus. It would be sort of like if my, uh, my, when my six-year-old son came to me and, and said, hey, Dad, I've decided that when I grow up, I'm gonna be Batman. You know, my, my response to that uh, is gonna match the seriousness of the claim, right? Oh, that's great, buddy. Why to apply yourself, right? Uh, you know, it, it kind of like, it's, it's funny, right? It's, it's not serious. And, and so I kind of can see Pilate responding to Jesus in a similar way. Oh, you say you're a king. Oh, tell me more, right? You kind of get that, that mocking, condescending tone from Pilate, having a bit of fun with him. But Luke gives us a small picture of this interaction. And if we look at one of the other gospels, if you look at the, the gospel of John, when, when John gives us this account of this interaction between Jesus and Pilate, he, he gives us a little bit more detail. You know, each of the gospel writers has a perspective, and, and so they draw out specific details that they, they are using to make their point. And one of Luke's main concerns is just demonstrating for us the innocence of Jesus. They're, they're, he's demonstrating for us the injustice of what is happening to Jesus. And so his concern in this passage is not necessarily Pilate himself. So if we look to John, the book of John, we see a little bit more detail as far as what happened in this conversation. So I think it's worth reading. So I'm gonna read from John 18, verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. 
If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. So in this account of the story, we see a lot more detail. There's a lot more context here for this conversation that takes place between Jesus and Pilate. And from that, my sense is that the tone of this conversation with Pilate and Jesus is less about mocking. And and there may have been some mocking in there. But it's, I, I get the sense that there's a spark of curiosity here. That Pilate is interested to find out just who Jesus is. There, there's, a, there's a dialogue, there's a back and forth, there's questioning, and, and it's interesting and it's fascinating to see how Jesus responds to Pilate. If you look back in Luke, the, the, the response is the same of, of Jesus in, in this question uh, in all of the Gospels. And so if you look back in Luke, uh, verse three, when, when Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, you have said so. And, and this is kind of a frustrating response, I think, for Pilate as well as for us, right? Like, what do we make of this? How do we, how do we interpret what Jesus is saying here? Because it's not very direct, right? It's, it's a little bit vague. It's a little bit ambivalent. And so, so to help us, you know, Tim, Tim Keller says the, the uh, Jesus is purposeful in his answer here. He, he purposefully places it kind of equally on the balance between a yes and a no. The, the, the Greek words that are used here are literally just come down to just two words and, and really they just mean you say. And so Jesus is not answering him directly. He, he's not answering exactly in the way that Pilate hoped he would. And isn't that just kind of like Jesus, right? Like doesn't Jesus do this quite a bit throughout scripture? They ask him one question and he reframes the question or he answers them in a way that, that redirects and, and so in this sense, it, it's sort of like he's answering Pilate and saying, uh, you ask me if I'm the king of the Jews, the answer to that is yes. And also, you ask me if I'm the king of the Jews and the answer to that is no. It's, it's kind of like he's, he's responding to him almost in a, in a riddle. But I think what's happening here is, and, and I think this is important for us, is what Jesus does in his response is he places the answer back in Pilate's court, so to speak. It's as if Jesus is saying, I am who I am. Nothing you can ask me is gonna change that. I am who I am, but who do you say that I am? See, I think uh, Jesus doesn't answer Pilate directly because in his all-knowing wisdom, he knows that the answer Pilate was looking for is not actually found in the question that he asked. You see, the the question Pilate was really asking was, if you are who you say you are, if are you a king, what does that mean for me? What are the implications of that for me? Now, you see, Pilate, I'm sure, was asking from a political sense, right? Are you a political king? 
because he's a political guy. That's the world he lived in. And, and so th this would pose a direct threat to Pilate if it were true. And, and in his answer, Jesus is saying, you're asking the wrong question. You and I ask a similar question of Jesus, right? When we look at the claims of Jesus, when we find ourselves wrestling with what do we make of Jesus, one of the ways that we respond to him, I think, is similar to Pilate, in that we say, are you a threat, Jesus? Do you pose a potential disruption to my way of life? When, when we consider, okay, what is Jesus asking of us? Does our guard go up? And I think this is helpful for us to ask these questions. Like when we look at what Jesus and what God is calling us to do, where are those places in our life where our, our guard goes up, right? Where we, we stiffen a little bit. Maybe, maybe as a husband, you, you know God is calling you to uh, speak words of, of apology to your wife for something that you have said or a, a tone that you have taken with her. Maybe as a, as a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you have, you have been uh, sexually immoral in how you have acted towards one another. One of you has pressured the other into doing things that you know are not within God's will for you, and you know God is calling you to repent of that. Maybe you, you examine your, your work life, and you see that there's kind of a lack of ethics in how you're carrying yourself, and, and just your general attitude or work ethic is, is not glorifying to God, and you sense a calling to repent and to turn. Maybe, maybe you're someone who's experienced feelings of, of same-sex attraction, and you don't know what to do with these, and, and, and maybe you, you, you really want to hold on to these, but you sense Jesus is calling you to lay these down before him, to give them up to him. What's your pet sin, right? You know the one that when you hear people talk about it, you start making justifications in your mind or you start rationalizing why it's okay for you to do that one thing. Where does your guard go up, right? When you start hearing Jesus calling us towards obedience, calling us to follow him, where are the areas in our life where we feel threatened and we ask Jesus, what, what is the threat here? Ultimately, Pilate decided that Jesus was not worth his time. In verse four, he said to the chief priests in the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee, even to this place. Now, I think, what I see here is I think I see Pilate attempting to say yes to Jesus at some level, right? If there's a spark of curiosity that we see in Pilate, there's an openness to who Jesus says he is. And, and so I think I see Pilate trying to take a step towards recognition of this man might be who he says he is. So I don't see any reason to crucify him. He might be worth listening to. But ultimately, what does he do? Well, when the people say that Jesus was from Galilee, verse six. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean, and when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. 
What did Pilate do? Ultimately, he refused to make a decision. He refused to consider who Jesus was and what he would make of Jesus and put it off, right? Like, like he's, he's, a, he's a politician. If there's anything, one thing politicians are really good at, it's passing the buck. Pilate sees an opportunity here to pass the buck. This is not need to be my problem anymore. This guy is Herod's problem now. I'm gonna send him off to Herod. Is, is God calling you to do something, but you're unwilling to move on that? You're unwilling to say yes? Have, have you passed the buck in a sense, saying I'm not gonna deal with this right now, I don't want this to be something that I have to figure out, I don't have to deal with or think about or submit to? I'm just gonna put it off. We see Pilate do this. And so Jesus is taken to Herod. Now, who is Herod? There's a little bit of, of context for us. So Herod Antipas was the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was king of Israel when Jesus was born. So if you remember when, when uh, Jesus was born and, and Herod ordered that all the, the boys under the age of two be killed. That was Herod the Great. This was his son, Herod Antipas. And, and Herod was the ruler, was the, the tetrarch um, over Galilee, which is the region in, in Israel where Jesus was from. And, and so he was a half Jew appointed by Rome to rule in Galilee. And, and so he happened to be in Jerusalem at this time because all of this is taking place at the Passover, which is a Jewish festival and so Herod, being part Jew, was in Jerusalem for the, for the holidays, essentially. And, and so when Pilate hears this, that Jesus is from Herod's jurisdiction, Herod happens to be in town, Pilate sees his good fortune, and, uh, and so sends Jesus to Herod. Now Herod's response was glad to see him. Look in verse eight. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him. How had, heard, how had Herod heard about Jesus? Well, uh, we, we know that Herod was responsible for the death of John the Baptist. If, if you remember, uh, the, so, so Herod had, had taken his brother's wife, who also happened to be his half-sister, as his own wife, and so it was just a mess Right, just, just abhorrent if you're a Jew to behave in this way. This is absolutely opposed to God's design. And so John the Baptist had preached, had spoken out, had publicly rebuked Herod for doing this, for the sin that he was living in. And, and so, of course, Herod was mad about this and had him put in prison. But we see in Mark chapter six that, that Herod, even though he put John in prison, he, he, he kept him alive. He kept him safe because he saw that he feared God. And I think Herod saw that there was something in John worth listening to. So we see there's, there's maybe a spark of conscience in John or in, in Herod when it comes to John. But, but Herod's wife, Herodias, held a grudge against John and, and she found an opportunity to uh, conspire and, and had John put to death and Herod was responsible for it. She managed to trick her husband, Herod, into having John executed. And so John at some point had, had or Herod at some point had interacted with John the Baptist 
ultimately had been responsible for his death. And in, in Mark 6, uh, we see that Herod starts hearing about Jesus and some of the things that Jesus is saying and doing. And his immediate response is, has John come back from the dead? And so we see there's a curiosity here in Herod that he has heard about Jesus. He, he has heard and he wonders, is this somehow the man that I executed? And, and so when this opportunity arrives for Herod to meet Jesus, he's glad. And what does he do when he sees Jesus? It says at the end of verse eight, he was hoping to see some sign done by him. He wanted a show. He wanted to be entertained. I've heard about the miracles. I want to see. Let me see what you got. Give me, give me something good, Jesus. Verse 9. So he questioned him at some length, but Jesus made no answer. And this is significant. Jesus gives Herod no answer. While Jesus engaged with, with Pilate, he was silent before Herod. Why was this? Well, for one, it's in fulfillment of prophecy about Jesus. You look at Isaiah 53, verse seven, it says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, in the face of mocking and in the face of oppression to fulfill this prophecy, gave no response. Right? He remained silent. But I don't think that's the only reason that Jesus did not respond to Herod. I think ultimately the reason Jesus kept his mouth shut, would not engage or respond to Herod, was because ultimately Herod's heart was hard. To God. Herod's conscience had been completely eroded. Whatever conscience we saw evidence of when it came to John keeping him alive in prison, it seems that that has been completely eroded to the point where all it is left is a hard heart. And I think the evidence for this is in what Herod looks for in Jesus. And what does he look for? What can you do for me? Herod wants to see Jesus do something miraculous. He wants to be entertained. He wants to be pleased by Jesus. And so when he looks to Jesus, when he comes face to face with Jesus, all that he cares about is what can you give to me? What can I get from you? And you guys, this is what a hard heart does. A hard heart doesn't care at all about knowing God or, or being known by him. A hard heart is only interested in Jesus for what we might get from him, what we receive from him. Maybe that's a feeling. Maybe that's wealth or some sort of success. A hard heart loves to be served more than it loves to serve. A hard heart is incapable of being taught because it's so blinded by pride. 
A hard heart has decided that it alone is the source of divine authority. There's no other authority that can speak into my life but me. And ultimately, a hard heart is one that no longer fears God. Herod had no fear of Jesus. You see that? In, in the very presence of God, Herod only cares about what's in it for me. And when your heart is hard to God, there's only one response left, and that's to mock. And this is what Herod does. Verse 10, the chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt, and they mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. So as soon as Herod realizes he's not going to get what he wants from Jesus, because his heart is hard, there's no openness to consider Jesus' claims or who he says he is. All that's left to do is to mock. So they make fun of Jesus. They clothe him in ridiculous garments. The reality is, and I think this is a hard truth for us, some of us, some of you, are mocking God in the way you're living your lives. I think it's helpful for us to look at this and to ask ourselves some questions. Ask yourself this, who's, who's calling the shots in my life? Is there anyone, anyone at all, other than me, making decisions about my life, calling the shots in how I go about living my life? When it comes to God, am I interested in actually knowing God? Is there a desire to know him? And more importantly than that, for him to know me? Is there any desire there at all? Or am I simply content to receive the things God has for me? To enjoy the stuff that he gives? Ask yourself this, do I hate my own sin? When, when I find myself engaged in sin, is, is my conscience convicting me? Am I, am I brought to repentance? Am I, am I brought to tears by my sin because of what it is doing to God? Or when I sin, is there just simply numbness? Have I ceased caring when I sin? This, this is a hard truth for us, but I think we have to be aware of this. Kent Hughes says this. He says, the conscience is perishable. And in Herod, what we see is that it is possible for someone to stand face to face in the presence of Jesus and feel nothing. This is terrifying. Should terrify us. Listen to the words of Proverbs 28, 14. It says, blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. But whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Psalm 111 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Hebrews 3 uh, verses 12 to 14 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. 
but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. When we ask ourselves the question, what do we make of Jesus? Some of us have to realize that some, we're mocking God in the way that we're living our lives. And that is an indication of a heart that is hardening or has hardened to Jesus. May we not be like Herod in this. Verse 12 gives us a bit of, a, of an aside comment here that I, that I think is interesting. Verse 12, it says, and Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been at enmity with each other. And, and I see here a truth that, you know, I don't know what was going on between Herod and Pilate. I don't know what the dispute was about. It probably had to do with some sort of jurisdiction or territory or power struggle of some kind. But here's where they found unity. Here's where they, they found common ground is that they both looked at Jesus. They both considered this man they both stood in his presence and they decided they could dismiss him. They could be done with him, that he wasn't worthy of a response. And when you come to that place, it doesn't matter what you believe or what you think, that puts you in opposition to God. It puts you in the category of rebelling against God if you do not come to Jesus and say, you are Lord. Any other response unites you in rebellion against God. You see, both, both of these guys, both Herod and Pilate thought they could just dismiss Jesus. That can't be done. That's not how it goes. He can't be ignored. When, when you consider the claims that I read earlier, the things Jesus says about himself, there's no indifferent response. Uh, many of you are probably familiar with C.S. Lewis is famously said, when it comes to Jesus, there are three responses and only three, right? You can determine that he's a liar, that either he's just outright lying to us, you can determine that he's a lunatic, that he's out of his mind and he's just speaking crazy. Or you can decide that he is who he says he is and you affirm him as Lord. These, these are the only categories for responding to Jesus. There is no indifference to Jesus. There is no dismissing him because to dismiss Jesus is to reject him. What will you make of Jesus? Maybe you're sitting here today and, and you identify at some level with Herod. Maybe you, you identified some places in your life where you can see a hardening heart towards God. Maybe that the, the twinge of conscience that you feel when you sin is, is lessened. Maybe, maybe you're mocking him with the way your life, living your life by just saying, 
I don't care what you say, Jesus. I want to do this, and so I'm going to because I'm in control. Maybe some of you identify with Herod in that sense. Or maybe some of you identify with, with Pilate. There's a, there's a spark. There's, there's some curiosity here. You're, you're willing to engage with what he has to say and, and even consider, could this, be, who, could this man be who he says he is? But ultimately, you, you get to the point of being afraid to say yes to Jesus, being afraid to say yes to God. And, and so your response has been to just put him off, to, to pass the buck to, to say, I'll decide another day. My, my encouragement to all of us this morning, wherever you find yourself, wherever you're at in responding to Jesus, is, is I want us to consider another claim that Jesus makes. And, and this claim about himself is, is less about what he came to do and how he does it. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What will you make of Jesus? This is his offer. This is his invitation to you. Say, wherever you're at, no matter what you've thought of Jesus in the past, no matter what you think of him in this moment, he offers this to you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus wants you to engage with him. Wherever you're at, whatever you have in your life, he wants you to bring it to him. Respond to his claim. Invite him to be Lord over your life today. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the truth that you have revealed to us in your word. We thank you for what we can learn in these responses to you. Lord, if there, if there are those here who, who are struggling with, with a hard heart towards you, a, a bitterness, or a, a, just a lack of care altogether, God, may they know that it is not too late to repent. May they see and may they receive the invitation you have for them. Lord, and if, if there are those of us here this morning who who are considering the cost, asking the question, what is the threat here? What is it you're calling me to do but are unsure how to respond? Who, who are afraid to say yes? Lord, we, we know that you meet us like you did with Pilate, a gentle word. Answering the question we don't even know we're asking. And all you ask us to do is just say yes, and you'll take it from there. Lord, give us courage to respond to who you say you are with faith, 
in your name we pray. Amen.